tonight's program is uh, archivist Nancy Webster. Um, she works at the library. She also works for the Highland Park Historical Society. Anyway, so I'm going to turn this over to Nancy. I look forward to your talk tonight, Nance. Welcome. Um, I'm sure you all know what today is the anniversary of, or you wouldn't be here. Um, so today is 100 years exactly that the Volstead Act was implemented in this country to enforce the 18th Amendment, which is prohibition. But in Highland Park, they didn't have to worry about that so much because it was already more or less in place. But we're going to kind of go back not so far to 18 to 1972 and November 1st, and this is the first legal, I'm sure it's, it's far from the first purchase of <laughs> liquor in Highland Park. And on November 1st, 1972, Bob Robinson, who was the time curator of the Historical Society, bought liquor at a bottle of whiskey, if I understand, at Sunset Foods. And there's Mr. Cortese, one of the owners, Ray Geraci, who was there at the time. And I couldn't read it, and I didn't know who the name of the cashier was, but some other people on Facebook could read it. And one of the granddaughters chimed in, that's Mildred Collins, a cashier at Sunset. And so Mr. Robinson was also a poem, and a former member of the Strong Society shared with me a poem that Mr. Um, let me see, Robinson wrote about that day. Once was a bottle sitting on a shelf waiting for someone to buy. For a hundred years it couldn't be sold because the town was totally dry. <laughs> then all of a sudden everything changed. The mayor and council met. The bottle was sold to a gray-haired man because the town was totally wet. And that, <laughs> it's not Hembo, but you know, it's, it's kind of cute. So um, I guess this bottle of Canadian liquor sat in the living room of the historical society um, until Mr. Robinson retired, and then I think curators after him actually drank it. <laughs> so, and also, Geraci at the time made the comment in the Tribune, and the city could use additional tax money because under this new law, the mayor was liquor commissioner and he could issue licenses, as many as he wanted. It was completely unlimited. And other towns at the same time were going dry because in 1870, the citizens of Illinois approved a new constitution, which provided for cities to have home rule. And this home rule in Illinois was the reason why they could pass these laws. Now, originally, a councilman proposed to the city council in Highland Park to put a vote to the people of the Highland Park, do you want to be wet or dry? And the council voted against it four to one. Everyone voted against them. And the council then made their own proposal to make Highland Park wet and sell liquor. And it passed unanimously. And that was in October, and a month later, liquor was sold. Now, Highland Park had technically been dry for most of its years. Highland Park in 72 and in 1872 were very different places. So here you can see two maps. This is Highland Park in 1973, and this is Highland Park platted 1872, just a couple years after it's been founded. It doesn't go very far west, just a little bit past the railroad tracks. And there was, Ravinia wasn't included, and a lot west to Rich Road, the farms whole, you had all of um, Rain Township was unincorporated. And so this is a very different city than in 1872 that was dry. When Highland Park was founded in 1869, if you read Pioneer Commuter, they attribute the actual founding of Highland Park to a desire to have a dry town. Well, 
there's some truth in that. It's a much more complex process of developing a subdivision, developing the city, and developing a government. But it was very important to the founders of Highland Park to be dry. At the time, Highland Park, it, Illinois became a state in 1818, am I right? 1818, yes. yeah. I'm not from, I'm not from Illinois. The bicentennial was last. That's right. So, and, and it's a relatively young state. And at the time, when, when Highland Park, and those of you who don't know, Moraine Township used to be Deerfield Township, was platted and became officially a, a state township in 1850. This part of the land joined the state of Illinois and the United States in 1833 with the Treaty of Chicago. So this is kind of Highland Park looked like, these, these cabins, before it became the city of Highland Park. This was the oldest cabin and it was actually published as the oldest building in Highland Park in the late 19th century. And that's the Conlon Farm, which is out near Ridge Road. And that's kind of what Highland Park looked like before the train came through. And the train came through, it brought all kinds of businesses. It brought hotels, it brought stores, people needed water, people needed something to drink. And apparently, according to many sources, along Green Bay Road, along the rail tracks, there were lots of saloons selling lots of cider. And it distressed a lot of people. And there was a temperance movement, of course, going on. People, because alcohol was a problem, but clean water was a problem also. So one of the first things the city did, their first day, was to make liquor illegal in Highland Park. There's a lot of discussion about how to do it and why to do it, because do you take the licenses away from people? Because many establishments had received licenses from Lake County. they called cider houses, because apple cider was one of the most popular drinks, I think it was a little cheaper. Moses Moses sold bitters. They sold cider at the hotel. Um, there were drugstores. And I don't know if it was the same thing, but the first drugstore was Cummings, and there was a Cummings cider. I don't know if it's the same family or not. We haven't quite figured that one out yet. There's no records for Cummings cider. So Highland Park establishes that no liquor. And additionally, the Highland Park Building Company is kind of like the new sheriff in town. Um, so this is bitter. So this is actually an advertisement that would have been was sold because the first mayor, Mr. Hawkins, complained loudly that Moses Moses' biggest sales were of bitters and not of socks and other healthy goods. And cider is relatively easy comparatively to make. You can you press it, you ferment it. It's a very popular popular drink. If you're interested in this, <clears throat> excuse me, this subject, Tracy Chevalier's book, The Edge of the Orchard gives a really good picture of what 19th century America was like with Johnny Appleseed coming through and with farm families where the parents are drinking most of the fermented silate and children dealing with alcoholism. I can't see this very well, but this is a Cummings bottle. Cummings was the first pharmacy and a drugstore in Highland Park and they sold all kinds of things, but also one of the caveats in the new law was that you needed alcohol, you get a prescription and go to the doctor and get it. And that became widespread throughout the country as well as Highland Park that that was the way to get liquor was to get a prescription. And this is a bond from Highland Park Building Company. They were really kind of the new sheriff in town. They came in and said, we're gonna get rid of drinking. Even in their deeds to their new homes, they said no alcohol allowed in the homes. And as the laws evolved, that was changed relatively quickly. And the, in fact, the law wasn't as strict as it first may sound. If you look at the written law, it says no liquor, absolutely no liquor. In fact, and this is the second law, this is the 1873 law, because every time Illinois changed the law or Lake County changed the law, 
Highland Park had to adapt as it did in the final days when it still was wet. So they made provisions for clubs, they made provisions for private homes, for religions. So there were ways to get out of drinking, of not being able to buy liquor. And frankly, there were lots of discussions in the paper about how to enforce it. And the first police officer didn't want to enforce it. But one thing that was really key to the Highland Park Building Company coming to town, they bought the Highland Park Hotel. Um, and when they owned it, then they kicked all the liquor out. And somehow the owner became the um, magistrate and the post office, the postmaster, but he was kind of lax about enforcing things. And it really varied who was mayor and who was enforcing and who was stopping you. Just like police now, I suppose, with a speeding ticket to say if they took away your liquor, they gave you a fine, if they arrested you. The Highland Park Hotel, and where was it? The Highland Park Hotel was on the corner of, someone correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, was on the corner of First and Central, right on the west of the tracks. Southwest. Southwest, Southwest, Southwest corner. And um, it attracted, the first years it had a lot of insurance workers, and then it became more of a tourist place. Actually, a Highland Park building company renamed it Central Hotel. And it did actually burn down, but it was right there um, on the corner of, across from the tracks. And which building is it? Oh, in that building? It's, it's just east of Fort Clinton. Which one is it? Okay. I'm familiar. Okay. And that's the water tower on the left. That's the first water tower, because if you wanted clean water, it had to come from a spring. Your water was not predictably safe. And frankly, humans have been fermenting and making alcohol as long as humans records we can find but fresh water was also a good thing and we had there were multiple outbreaks of cholera in Highland Park and a little bit of fermentation was possibly good a lot of fermentation a lot of drunkenness were not so good and that was what the city and the country do you have a question Did children drink alcohol too I think so because even milk wasn't safe mm -hmm. you know pre-pasteurization drinking milk was risky mm -hmm. Of course, the whole purpose of a patent medicine is supposedly for stomach aches and other, you know, digestive ailments, and that wasn't what it was actually used for. So at this point, in 1873, Boyantin's mayor, who's an architect, a lot of well-known buildings downtown, there's a, a poster by Metra, and Boyantin was an avid, avid advocate of temperance, as was his city clerk, John Finney, who, in, this is one of the Civil War letters, homes to his parents, was very adamant about temperance. And they were going to see that temperance was kept. And here's a little excerpt from a, a news article in the 1870s, actually Erskine, that people were dressed, were drunk. And it was well on view. It's a small town. You can see what's going on. And so they all got together, Boynton and Cushman, who was the owner of the Moraine Hotel, and other people. And, really wanted to push for stricter enforcement. They didn't want to add a temperance because they felt like they had a good law, but they really were pushing better ways to enforce it, make it stronger, make it better known you can't drink in Highland Park. And you can see now Highland Park's changing in view. It's not little cabins and little farms. You have balconies and porches. And this is a little Baptist church in Ravinia, which was not yet annexed to Highland Park. And that's Boynton's home, who is mayor and strong temperance advocates. So Highland Park is changing. It's not farms. These are some of the people, the city leaders, that were temperate advocates. That's Frank Green, who owned a cafe, and Jim McDonald, who owned the corner, kitty corner, from and where 
the hotel was where the Chase Bank is now. Frank Green owned a cafe, and this are his, his sisters. And the woman in back is the first librarian in Highland Park, and her sister, and we think that's her mom, Elvira, we're not sure. So Highland Park felt pretty good about being a sober place, a temperance place of fine, refined people. They're both farmers to the West. And one thing is interesting to note that we just found out at the seminar at Lake County a couple months ago was that prohibition, the feds were so vigilant in going out trying to get rid of all these cider mills, they destroyed certain apple varieties that don't exist anymore because they were, they were destroying all the orchards. So a couple other things are happening in the late 19th century in Highland Park as well. Fort Sheridan comes, that's a major, major army base, where comes young soldiers who want to drink, whether they want to drink in Highwood or Highland Park. And you have a military academy, Northwest Military Academy, open up in the Highland House. Now, one of the reasons the Highland Park, the Northwestern Military Academy, chose to come to Highland Park, because they were, prom were promised by the city leaders that Highland Park would be dry. So Harlan Davidson, who opened the Military Institute, which is now in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, could tell parents that were sending their boys. It still was kind of a place, I think, for, you know, send your boy to the military academy, he'll shape up. No alcohol whatsoever. But Fort Sheridan had its own post office and had its own bars, which would open and close various based on how the laws were fluctuating and how temperance was moving towards prohibition. There's a big concern about people getting drunk and then just walking over the border to Highland Park. And Lake County reacted by having various laws. And Lake County kept changing the barrier. They made a buffer law that you couldn't serve liquor within 1.8 miles, I think, of Fort Sheridan. But they said it wasn't enough, so they moved it closer, moved it back. And all the while, you know, overall, the community, the country, was moving towards complete temperance. And these are, by the way, this is a uniform from the Northwest Military Academy Center collection. You also have, at the same time, you have these military academy, Fort Sheridan coming to Highland Park. You have the growth of the women's movement, which is tied hand in hand with the temperance movement. You have the Assoli Club founded in 1894, 1899, the Highland Park Women's Club, and in 1911, the Rubini Women's Club. While they had many issues, and they all kind of embraced the troika of education, prohibition, and suffrage, they, at various levels, adhered to prohibition. They all, at least as a group, as part of the General Federation of Women's Club, were advocates of temperance and prohibition. Now, interestingly, Mrs. Cummings, who was the druggist wife and had her own PhD as a chemist and was a pharmacist, she was dispensing liquor. She was the woman who encouraged the Highland Park Women's Club to ask for um, a, to get the library here and, and petition Carnegie. And she was known to have a drink once in a while, I think. But I think a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, like, we don't want the, there's a class issue here as well. We don't want these poor people drinking. We don't want these workers drinking. Were some of the things that were said at council meetings but it was maybe okay for a nice person who lived in a nice house, London Women's Club, to have a little glass of wine. That was different. And there is a difference between having a drink and being drunk, of course. And that became a class issue. So ultimately, all these forces are working together on the city level, on the state level, on the federal level, that are leading to eventually both the 18th and 19th amendments. And here you have Illinois is approving in 1918 to be part of the 18th amendment. 
And what's interesting, by the time you get two years later, when you have the Volstead Act enacted and part of the law, the Highland Park Press, which was the official, doesn't just talk too much about it, doesn't really mention it. It does mention how Fort Sheridan ate liquor thieves, and it's kind of always, every time there's a problem, they kind of, oh, it is the, the boys, the boy Fort Sheridan, Fort Sheridan, kind of push it off back off to Fort Sheridan. It wasn't always the case. So one thing, these women, the women of the clubs, really, they put action into the words. They were very devoted to being helpful and being good members of society. Most of them came relatively well-off families. They had women at home to help. They had time. So they opened the Highland Park Army Navy Center, which was just east of Central, where they wanted to provide entertainment, wholesome entertainment, lemonade, tea, nice beverages for young soldiers to come. And this is a picture from the opening during World War I. And this is really this movement of the, the Army Navy Center here, and in general, these places near bases, near where soldiers are stationed, is a forerunner of the USO, and also of communities sincerely reaching out to these young men who are being drafted, and are you know, teenagers, they're kids really, and they're moving away from home. And they want to give them an alternative to going to Highwood. You know, just, Highwood has restaurants and bars. and We're wholesome and nice, and we serve you lemonade. We give you stationery to ride home. And in fact, they, many of these women actually took kids under their wings, and they would write them after they went back into the field. Um, if they were getting married, they'd arrange for them to go meet their wives. They'd invite them over for dinner. So a group of women who's very, very much lived what they were preaching as far as temperance and being active in the social sphere. This is also kind of a lesson how things become a law in this long process to change the American Constitution, which took many years because of temperate movements. If you look back, even when Illinois was being founded and it's, as it changed its laws, its laws evolved. They said, what are we going to do about intemperance? What are we going to do about liquor license? The changing of the laws of issuing liquor license just over maybe 50 years in Illinois is amazing how many times it's changed and how they're trying to address, okay, people drink. We want the income from when people buy and sell liquor, but we don't want people rolling drunk. And we have vocal people. And now these people, these vocal people, these very vocal people, these women want to both vote and we know how they're going to vote. And they were right for the most part, even women that drank voted for prohibition. So you had also, because you had a lot of exceptions, these are sheep in Highland Park in the late 19th century, but this is what became Bobolink, which was the Bobolink um, golf course. And you have Exmoor, which also golfed. And there, you, can, you can never leave Stoopy out of the Highland Park stores, like there's Stoopy Cabin in the background. And technically, according to these clubs, they didn't serve liquor, but they were kind of allowed to, but maybe not. And there were several cases where they went to court. And there's a particular one with Exmoor where, of course, it wasn't the members. The members weren't drinking at all. And I want to read you something from a newspaper article about this. So it says, Pastor made a complaint. Charges that the Exmoor Club at Highland Park was the scene of unconventional festivities last Saturday night following a good fellowship banquet that the club persistently had been violating a law against selling liquor in Lake County because by the early 19th century, Lake County had its own prohibition law. So steps and higher from a higher and higher level of more rules against liquor. Immediate investigation of conditions at the Exmoor Club 
an organization which includes in its members many prominent and highly respected citizens of Chicago and residents of the North Shore, has demanded evidence to support the charge that has been placed in the prosecuting official. Now, it also happens the judge presiding over this case was a member of Exmoor Club, so it's convenient. But it was all the caddies. In the end, they said it was just the caddies. These caddies were drinking. Our members weren't drinking, and the caddies got caught drinking, so they made a story about their members, and everyone kind of kind of pushed in the door. But in fact, there was a lot of liquor sold. If you look at early Ravinia programs, there's ads for liquor. Technically, they didn't sell it, but you could buy it on the train. So prohibition was creeping, and it was the different layers. So Highland Park was never totally dry. It was legally dry. So here's the amendment to the Constitution um, that they sent out. And, but then they had to create the Volstead Act, which we're celebrating today, because you have to have, how do you implement this? Places, there's beer parlors, there's beer trucks, pulled by horses, of course. There's places selling liquor in every store in this country, so they had to have a program. So when we think of prohibition, and this is Illinois ratifying, we think of, these are the kind of pictures we think of prohibition. And um, you know, this is Zion City, and they're arresting people, they're breaking open casks. And that wasn't happening so much in Highland Park, because they had been addressing it for many years by the time it actually came into being in 1920. They talked about enforcement. And enforcement, from what, reading through newspapers, reading through minutes, very greatly, depending on who was the magistrate and who stopped you, and who the mayor was. There even was a rumor that was repeated and repeated that some of the candidates for city council and for mayor would give people beer to get their vote. It always seemed to come up at every election. So you have a period now where prohibition is in full force. And as most of you know, there's a movement against it. And there were speakeasies everywhere. There was liquor everywhere. People making liquor in their home. People were making liquor that poisoned people and killed people, but it was the law and it was being enforced. And what happened too was so people were pushing against the law, so people started asking for support from the law. And in fact, the Women's Club of Highland Park, the Ravinia Women's Club, responded to the request and began writing letters to their congressmen to not repeal the 18th Amendment. And that was a very strong force coming from certain groups in Highland Park for that. But in the end, prohibition was repealed. There's a cider mill. And then we have, in the second session, we now have the 21st Amendment, and prohibition is repealed, signed by FDR. And again, that wasn't viewed, it wasn't seen in Hungary, it wasn't a big uproar, it wasn't headlines, it just kind of happened. But what the city realized a year or two later was, wow, now that the American government has repealed prohibition, that makes Highland Park having repealed prohibition because the law said all local laws are repealed as well. Now, was liquor being sold legal in Highland Park? No, because no one was issuing liquor licenses. But the fact remains, it was not illegal. So after much discussion, the mayor, Emil Metzel, insisted that it be put to a public vote. And he was not running for re-election, I have to say. And one of the gentlemen who was running for election, Mayor Dooley, was he'd run before, and that happened a lot in Highland Park. People would serve a term, lose a term, not run for a term, they come back and run later and win. And Dooley had previously been mayor of Highland Park, and there were repeated accusations that he distributed beer at his house. He distributed beer to give people votes. But he won, in this case, in 34. And the, the ballot 
um, was interesting in the way it was worded. And people felt that it was kind of deceptive. So it says, be sure and vote as you intend to. The wording of the liquor version was such that, let me read that so you can hear that. We are holding a referendum so Highland Park will become wet. So if you wanted to vote to sell liquor, it was no. If you wanted to vote not to vote liquor, it was yes. So the question was, shall the sale of retail alcohol liquor be prohibited in Highland Park? And in the end, 27-29 voted yes and 20-97 voted no, which meant that Highland Park became dry. Um, and it was pretty close. Turnout was kind of medium, about 60-70% of registers voted um, one, and Highland Park was dry until 1972. So this morning there was a quiz on WGN, and I kind of gave away the answer right here for the first question. So Blind Pigs, um, this is actually a, a bar in Ann Arbor. So the question is, what Blind Pig was um, a place where they sold liquor, and that they had a little symbol of pig on the door. But some of the other slang they came up was Jake Walk. So is Jake Walk mean to arrest a bootlegger? leave a one-night stand, or loss of muscular control due to Jamaican ginger, which was like a bitters. Does anyone know what that means? It's a ginger beer, and there's some contamination in it, and people did run into problems. There's an article on Wikipedia. In fact, it is true that liquor that was sold, um, sometimes the homemade liquor was poisonous. And actually, also, if and if, if certain articles are to believe that people deliberately poison liquor to discourage the purchase of alcohol during prohibition, that means people being feds. The fact that jaywalk is to arrest a bootlegger. Um, a fire extinguisher. Oh, jaywalk was actually regarded to the ginger beer. Was it? Yes. Oh, I got that one wrong. Sorry. That's not fine. Fire extinguisher was a cake, was a chaperone, and um, actually there was a, a movie last year about um, with Elizabeth the Governor starring as a chaperone of Elise Brooks, and a cake eater was a ladies' man. Correct. So, um, and that's what our, our favorite ladies' men's Ohio Park, Orson Brand photographer, in one of his famous selfies. Do you have any questions? No, what about what, what really happened in 1973? Was there a vote or was No, it, it was council? a city council vote, and because the new 1970 Illinois Constitution gave cities the ability to create home rule. Highland Park took advantage of being become a home rule city. It is still a home rule municipality. The city council was able to vote to sell liquor. Go ahead. Was Highwood always wet? Unless it was prohibited by Lake County or other ordinances. So it was not always wet, but it always had restaurants. And they, go ahead. What was the date? I was trying to see the date on when they had that vote. Uh, right at the top, if you scroll. Which vote? Right there. 35. That's 1935? Yes. Oh. Because they, believe it, they And there was a lot of confusion at the time of what to do, what the law meant, because it was a big change. And if you can't, if, and the big question too is because if they can't issue liquor license, then you can't sell liquor anyway. So they kind of, I thought, discussed it for many years. like. 
So are we wet or are we dry? And decide, no, we have to, and Mr. Metzl said, we have to put it to vote. We're going to put this to vote and decide. I very much like how you've uh, shown the tension that people had between, uh, yes, we'd like to vote if, or we'd like to drink or, or in moderation, but the real concern being that, you know, sometimes it didn't stay within moderation. And when you mentioned the hard cider, I, um, I'm pretty sure this was David McCullough's recent book, Pioneers. I'm almost, I'm almost positive it was his book. If not, it was some of the middle board by <coughs> Hamlin Garland. But um, they were talking about the hard cider and how it seemed to be ubiquitous as far as uh, it was even said that farmers um, who would have crews come in to help them with, um, for instance, harvesting or whatever season they might get extra workers. Um, a good farmer, a generous, good man, would always give his help hard cider. It was what was expected. And the people who would gave only water to their workers were considered to be very miserly. Um, Absolutely. And that, so it was, but what struck me, I mean, I was kind of surprised when I read that it was so ubiquitous, everybody drank it, and yet in this same book, and this is why I say I'm pretty sure it was David McCullough's book. Um, if, I don't know if anybody else has read that or they can remember this, but... Um, they, these people did feats that were, I think to us, would have been unimaginable. You know, what they did to settle the territory uh, there in Ohio. Just the life that they lived, they were such hardworking, responsible. Are you thinking people. of Edge of the Orchard? Because no, okay. I'm pretty sure this was David McCullough's book. And like okay. I said, if I'm mistaken, the only other book that I was reading recently that included this could have been Hamlin Garland's Son of the Middle Border. But I, re I remember this person who wrote this, and I think it was David McCullough. It said that like everybody was drinking hard cider, and that the farmers who didn't serve it to their work. That's true. If you're working for someone who's not making very much money, <clears throat> would you want to have water that might be clean or unclean? Might be spring water, might not, right. or cider? And alcoholic levels vary greatly. You well, can what have surprised me though is kind of like these people were. You know, it wasn't a drunk. And what was described in the book in these communities is that it took so much to create the community, the people were hard working, these were not a whole bunch of drunken people. You know? Oh, absolutely not, yeah, really. And so it brings also this question of like temperance, um, you know, the old fashioned, I, I think it's kind of like maybe almost, a, for me it has religious connotations to be temperate, you know, was a lot like being kind, or it was a virtue. And it didn't mean not drinking, you could be temperate in anything, it meant I think moderation or something like that. I, I wish I had a dictionary about now. That, that's true, but in no way, not everyone was an alcoholic, but it's very true that alcoholism was a major problem. Drunkenness in the streets, if you go, even the early newspapers of Highland Park, there's regular stories of brawls in the street. There's people drunk, there's people pass out, they go swimming, they die, they, they stay outside, they lose their senses, they desert their families. The mother drinks and the, you know, the baby's left not to eat. Alcoholism was a problem, and this was, I think at the time, the only answer that some people saw. There was no Alcoholics Anonymous, there was no rehab. It's like, right. So it was the answer was, you know, metaphysical temperance, you know, get a grip on yourself. And we still have that now, along with a lot of drug use, increased drug use, really. Just, there's a wide and life was hard, too. So I can't forget that. And, and over time, it wasn't just hard cider, it was also beer. Beer came into the equation after a while. With the German immigrants. They, the German and again, party. you have beer with many levels of alcohol. You do, it's still to this day. And it, can, it, it makes a difference how much alcohol, pure grain alcohol or a 
a light beer or cider or a mouthful of bitters might get, you know, it's a little bit. Any other questions? Ed? Was there any uh, relationship between the policy of Highland Park and Highwood? There was a lot of discussion of that in the paper. But Highland Park developed these policies and these beliefs before Highwood was founded as a municipal entity. And as I recall, didn't they even, when they put that barrier for alcohol in Highland Park in 1869, it was there and one mile circumference around the town, <coughs> which is a little bit difficult to manage. Those circumferences, from what I can tell, were very common. When Lake County had it, they had circumferences. When they had the eight mile, you can only drink. There's 1.8 miles you could drink away from Fort Sheridan. They wanted to buffer around themselves. Go ahead. Why did Evanston stay dry so long? That's where the temperature was founded. You know, I don't know a lot about Evanston history, but I know they they repealed their prohibition for the same reason that Highland Park did it, and the same wave of they grasped after the Illinois Constitution changed. In 1970, they chose home rule, and that gave them the ability to roll back old laws like that. And that's where the Temperance Society was headquartered. Yep, WTCU, uh, yeah. Years. And I think Winneka didn't uh, get wet until 82, for example, so it's a progression of the North Shore. Yeah, actually, that's very true. Related to that, I thought you had told me, Nancy, one time a story about like some other it had to do with something that was very strategic. Like, a lot of towns in this area, like it was, because uh, I think it was Glencoe, maybe Winnetka, how they all became dry at about the same time. Was that part of a bigger... This part of the, the from the Constitution movement to change the Constitution in the 60s, when Illinois, and it was voted on by the citizens, did change it. I'm sorry, 1970. In 19... But when they went, when they first went dry, there was a move like all the little yeah. towns seemed like they did. There, there was, there was a tendency that it was, it was. But it wasn't a movement, or there wasn't something other than everybody was just doing this. I think it was part of a trend and a movement to develop places and homes that were peaceful and safe and away from the rabble, nice suburban homes. Well, again, it's because of the Temperance Society, Evanston. This area, whole area, was pretty much influenced by. Right, but like Metro, you know, I have relatives that lived at Arlington Heights. They had bar cars. Metro had bar cars that went out in that direction. All right. the bar cars are gone. But the North Line never had the bar car, unless you want to talk about that one train car that goes from Lake Forest, but that one's private. But from what I heard, the reason we never ever had the bar car was because Zion was the long holdout. I'm going west. Well, Zion was, 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 was had a very strong temperance movement. It was actually a religious community. That's true. Right. Did you have a question or a comment, Jeff? Oh, I, in the back of my mind, somehow I picture a statue of Stanton. What's her name, Elizabeth? Elizabeth Caddy? I think there's a statue of her in the rotunda, or not in the rotunda, but in the U.S. Capitol. I think it's one of the, I think each state has Maybe. Yeah, all state had their leaders. It just happened that Illinois had the, the biggest temperance leader in Evanston. But every state did have and all these women, Susan B. Anthony, at least on some level were vocal as temperance was part of suffrage and that was one of the fears of giving women the vote. They're gonna vote for this. Uh, yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, go ahead. I've grown up on the North Shore uh -huh. and I'm old, so I've been there for a long time. And and 
I was always under the impression that one of the reasons these communities started to turn around was I remember my parents, they would have to go into Chicago to go out for dinner. There were no restaurants. All, none, because you couldn't get a drink. You'd have to go to Highland. What about No Man's Land? And, no Man's Land and Wilmette between Wilmette and Kenilworth. Yeah, and Howard Street was the big Yeah, right. I mean, and I would think that, that this changeover must have had a strong economic Oh, absolutely. That's one of the driving forces behind it was the the, the income that was. They're getting money for liquor licenses. They're getting money from sales taxes and restaurants. We might be getting that money. And Highwood had you know, Go ahead. wonderful. There was one that didn't have a name, and you had to know where it was. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was. You need, a, you need a password. That's recent. No, no but that. A couple questions about the law. I mean, when did they first start requiring liquor license to sell liquor? And second question is, when did they first start putting age restrictions on? Now, the question, the first question, before Highland Park was incorporated in 1869, Lake County was issuing liquor licenses to the saloons here. And I think as, as, as soon as the state was founded, and as early as laws included liquor license provisions. Now, as far as the age restrictions, I don't know the answer. Does anyone know that? I think they're relatively reasonable, but that's a guess. So state law, and then you have the, the different levels of local, state, and federal law as well. You beer in certain states. When you were 18, you could drink three, two beer. Like, because there was an era when teenagers would go over the Wisconsin border. Or to Canada and, from Detroit. Right, and then, you know, and then there'd be these horrific automobile accidents. But I wasn't part of all that, so. <laughs> well, I, I would never say that I went on a big puppy prom dress over the border to Canada and tried to get a drink. I never did that. I never did that. <laughs> of course, it was obviously that was high school. Well, this was very interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Favorite book, history of the world in six glasses. Oh, that's, that's a very good recommendation. Very good recommendation. Nancy, that was terrific.